Welcome to the Slow Twitch Podcast. I am joined today with our co-host, Ryan Heisler. And Ryan, we've got a really special guest today, a good friend of mine, excellent athlete, um, super opinionated on a lot of subjects that I find very entertaining to be opinionated on. Um, Ryan, you would pump, you like to introduce? Can, can you what? pump my tires up like that much? Like, <laughs> it'd be nice every once in a while. But uh, I know, but no, I listen to you by... whine all the time. So oh, fuck off. Um, we are joined <laughs> by two-time Xterra world champion and awesome athlete, Brad Weiss. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Um, that was quite the introduction. Thank you, Eric. Um, yeah, I've been listening to the podcast and uh, been enjoying the content. So thank you so much for having me on. Brad. Now, just so the listeners know, um, you and I have been friends for, what is it, two years now? Yeah, I think so. I think we can call And we have years. a really, Probably we more. have a really good, yeah, yeah, we have a good banter back and forth when it comes to we certain do. policies and procedures, don't we? <laughs> We've had a few back and forths, but you like, you enjoy that, Eric. Well, and to be frank, I think I've lost a lot of those when it comes to as time has told, I I will admit that you have tended to be more right than I have when it has come to your grievances with certain things in the sport. So I will admit that on the podcast in front of everyone who's listening, that that Brad has been more right when it has come to the penalties given at Ironman races than I have. Well, thank you so, so much. Uh, it takes a big man to admit when they're wrong. So well done. I'm shocked. <laughs> shocked yeah. that Eric was more wrong about something. I, I'm also quite shocked, actually. It's, it's quite impressive. Well, it just seems like they haven't been able to fix their problems with the penalty issue over at Ironman. I mean, yeah, it's, I think it's just a massive you challenge just, as well. You just got screwed them. again, didn't you? Yeah, I got screwed really badly, actually. Um, this one is like completely like there's nobody on the face of this earth who can tell me that what happened to me was fair or just or um, correct marshalling in any way. Um, the whole point of us having referees out on course is to ensure fair racing um, and to make sure that nobody's getting an unfair advantage over fellow competitors. And that's not what happened. I simply got a five minute penalty for absolutely no reason. Um, you know, we were we were midway up a, a massive climb on a switchback corner um, and just the dynamics of cycling. When you go around a steep 10% grade, the distance between athletes reduces. Um, and whether I entered into the so-called 12-meter zone or not, it's so it's, – it's just such a speculative call based on somebody sitting on the back of a motorbike 100 meters away from us um, on a section of course that there is just no drafting benefit to then not come up and just simply warn the athlete at that point and say, I believe you're too close right now. You need to back off a meter or two, which I would have happily done. Um, but I didn't believe that I was within the drafting zone anyway um, at that point. So unfortunately, us as professional athletes and, and all athletes taking part in Ironman events, you're just at the mercy of these referees and they're making judgment calls based on their previous experience. Um, and we just have to sit with the consequences of that. 
Yeah. And I mean, there's three thoughts that I have off that, right? So there's there's the spirit and intent of a given rule, right? And then there's the absolute exactly. textbook, you know, like this is the zone that it might be, right? And, <clears throat> you know, we know that it's it's meant to be drafting and yet they call it a position foul, right? Because what they're yeah. really after is, did you go into whatever this positioning is? And, you know, unfortunately, whether or not like there's an advantage isn't really kind of like the letter book that they've created for it, right? Like it's very, um, very cut and dry in terms of the way that it operates. And it's really, um, that's where there's supposed to be that level of discretion available to a referee who understands, right? Like cycling dynamics, what the positions are, is someone actually, you know, gaining an advantage because, yeah, you know, from not just from you, but everyone that we have heard from, right? Like there was no advantage to be gained at that particular um, section of the course. Um, yeah. Secondly, right? Like, is this an opportunity for technology, right? Where you have something like a race ranger, right? Where, you know, you have something as an athlete that's sitting in front of you and it tells you whether or not you're too close. Yeah. And the, um, that's what we've used in the PTO events and it works like a charm. There has not been one drafting penalty in any of those races and nobody has complained about drafting after the race. So it's like this problem has been solved and Ironman refused to to come on board with with technology that's available and Race Ranger offered to come free of charge. All they needed was their travel expenses paid. They were very public in their um in their out like like saying outwardly that, you know, they're very willing, they're in Europe, they'll come and officiate this race and Ironman just don't for some reason don't take it on board, which is very frustrating for us. Well, I mean, I think what part of that comes down to, right, is Ironman is going to look at solutions and technology that is applicable to the entirety of the field and not just the front end of the race, right? Whether that's the right or the wrong approach is, you know, a matter of opinion. But, you know, when they're looking at, you know, okay, we're going to set a travel expense or something else. And it's really just for the benefit of, you know, 30, 40, 50 athletes. Like, is that, you know, the core of our business and what we should be doing? And I think there's, yeah. you know, there's a fair argument to be had on either side of that. The last sure. point is, you know, like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, in your case, you should, you should never should have served the penalty. You should try to, go you know like go get dq'd and then you know appeal it after the race you can't do that with anything that is viewed to be a judgment call by a referee which includes exactly. any of the position files yeah yeah so you can throw your toys out the cart and say oh i'm just gonna continue racing and try and win this race off the front and then you know try and get the, the the penalty overturned but ultimately it's the athlete's word against the referee's word and they're always going to it, like they, they, it's a judgment call, as you say. So they all, you cannot appeal a judgment call. Um, so as an athlete, you are just at the mercy of of the judges um, out on course. Um, and 
yeah, unfortunately, I've fallen on the wrong side of it at two Ironman World Championships now. I got a five-minute penalty in Kona, and I got another five-minute penalty now. So, yeah, when you put in so much work into an, into a race, and and it's taken the opportunity to to race to the best of your ability is taken away from you, is uh, really really difficult to accept. Now, Brad, what I will I will have to say this: I was I was very impressed with how you handled this penalty versus some of the penalties you've had in the past, because, you know, because you're, you're given an option, right? Like you're given an option that this particular situation that you can't control or you can control whatever the circumstances are, you're either going to allow that mentally to ruin your day or you're going to not allow it to ruin your day. And in the past, I feel like you've allowed it to ruin your day. Yeah. But, but this one, you didn't like talk to us a little bit about that and the, the mental, uh, you know, headspace that you were in because, you know, and, and, and we're really starting to see this with this issue because it is an issue like an iron man and everybody's got to really get a handle on this issue because they're, you know, everyone is wanting fair races. So the referees are going harder on, on calls they're getting some of those calls wrong. So they've got to balance that out. But then athletes that typically haven't gotten penalties because they weren't so strict in the past are starting to get more penalties. And some athletes are choosing to allow that penalty and that certain circumstance to basically ruin any sort of position that they have. And then there's athletes that have chosen to not allow that to ruin their day and, and still fight for whatever position they can possibly get into. Um, and so what changed for you this time around versus the last couple of times around? Because you still finished, I mean, obviously not as great as you would have liked to, but you didn't allow a five-minute penalty to affect you negatively like 20 minutes like some athletes did. Yeah, I think, um, firstly, I don't want to just knock Ironman continuously. You know, they, they did a That's lot right point. here for, Very good for point. professional yeah. racing. You know, they, they have pivoted many times over the last four years as a result of COVID and, and many other challenges that have been thrown their way to, to continue the sport of professional racing. And with, with a new CEO stepping in soon, I hope that professional racing continues to be a focus of theirs and doesn't just, you know, slowly fall by the wayside. Um, it still is the the probably like pro the pinnacle of our sport and despite the ptos and challenges challenge events trying to compete ironman is still the bread and butter for us so i don't want to be the one standing here screaming at them um you know without also giving them their, their cre the credit where it's due and ironman nice world championships was awesome as a as an athlete like i absolutely loved it when i heard about the the shift early on I was so excited because it finally suits an athlete like me. And with my strengths, I knew I could be competitive on this course. Um, it's something that I've known for a long time that I can be competitive. It's just that the Ironman courses are generally like very specific and suited to a certain style of athlete. Um, so knowing that we were going to be racing a world championships on a course that suits me really well, I was super excited. And I think Ironman did a great job there of um, choosing a course that, that, was was really exciting i think for for everyone involved um you know the the refereeing of it is just one small aspect that they are struggling with at the moment and it was quite apparent in the pro briefing prior to the race 
with Lionel Sanders being disqualified two weeks before the event at Ironman 70.3 World Championships for crossing an imaginary center line, you know, you could see that they were trying to to, to navigate the space that they don't really know how to do it um, quite a, as of yet. And uh, it added a layer of complexity being French referees and the French officiate, uh, the French officials were there at the briefing trying to explain their point of view and how it would be officiated. But in the same race, I multiple times saw athletes much closer than I was. So there's just no consistency in the application of the rules. And, you know, certain, and at no time was anybody trying to cheat. So no, in my opinion, nobody should have been given a drafting penalty. At the beginning of the race, there was a group of nine of us who came out the water together. And the first few kilometers of the bike is completely flat and we all maintained the legal drafting distance. And then we got into the hills and the dynamics of bike racing started to play out and the gaps would narrow on steep climbs and they would extend on flats or descents. And that's just how the that's just how physics works. Um, you're never going to be able to maintain this perfect 12 meter gap, and it's just it's completely ridiculous to try and enforce that um, on anybody, um, let alone a pro field who are trying to race one another. And if there's somebody clearly pushing that boundary because they are going to be dropped, you can see that. You can see it in their body language. They're really struggling to keep up, and they're pushing that drafting space. Yes, that person deserves, deserves a penalty. But if you accidentally roll into a drafting zone, you should not get a five-minute penalty at that point. It's just, it's just crazy. And everybody's like dancing on eggshells trying to avoid getting a penalty because they know that that's pretty much the end of your day. But coming back to your, Chris, your question, Eric, um, how I dealt with it mentally, I mean, at first I threw my toys and uh, some of it was on the live broadcast and some of it wasn't. Um, and... Um, I knew my wife was watching, so I tried to keep it as PG as possible. <laughs> but I did, um, <laughs> I did get exceptionally angry just at the whole situation. I was finally in a world championship event on a course that suited me. I had had the swim of my life, you know, making that front pack with the likes of Sam Laidler, Jan Fredino, etc. Um, I was just like having the perfect day, and for it to be taken away from me in that way was just like truly heartbreaking. Um, so when I entered the penalty box, I was still in the group of third, fourth, fifth, um, myself, Magnus, Dietlev, um, Rudy von Berg, and Braden Curry was still with us at the time. Um, I entered the penalty box expecting to, you know, get going again in around 25th, 27th place, something like that. And by the time I got going again, I was still in 11th. So I was, I was really shocked at how blown apart the race was. And that really like changed my mental space. Um, just to get back into it and just realize that you know, top 10 is still within my grasp here. So I think on a different course, like a Kona, a five-minute penalty is game over. You know, you miss the, you miss the, the pack that you're riding with. You're all of a sudden solo. You, you, your day is pretty much done. But on a course like Nice, where it's a lot more of an individual biking effort, you can um, sort of stabilize the losses. And I think I actually rode time back into Magnus and the group for a while there. Um, I came out the came out the penalty box with a lot of frustration and anger, and I rode a little bit too hard for a while, um, but then like settled down. Um, had uh, Leon Chevalier to work with, which was great, um, and yeah, I managed to. I'm you know, very proud of the fact that I managed to keep my cool and um, yeah, managed to at least 
pull out a decent result in the end of the day. What was the penalty tent like? Did you did you focus on nutrition? Did you get like what do you do for that five minutes? Because five minutes is a, it's a long time. It's a long time. <laughs> I can tell you, it's a long time. Um, yeah. So first, the first thirty seconds, I vented for a while. Um, I, I mean, it's it's just a volunteer there under the tent, so they have no. They have no control over whether you like why you got the penalty, what you got it for. They cannot overturn it. So it's absolutely pointless having a go at them. So shame. Um, the right, lady who was standing right, under right. the tent was, was very apologetic and um, trying to be sympathetic towards me, but I was losing my shit a little bit, not at her, just at the situation. Um, but then I managed to calm myself down and I realized, well, okay, if you look at this as like an interval session, you've just done a hard hour swim and a good 90 minute hard bike. Here's your opportunity to sit down, take on a gel, take on as much fluid and food as you can, and then start the second part of your day. And that's kind of how I looked at it. Um, managed to bring my, bring my heart rate down a bit, calm myself down and got stuck is there, into the, is the there, second half of the race. There... Is there a bathroom at the penalty tent at all? I don't think there is, nor I don't think you would be allowed to use it either. You're not allowed to use it. Yeah. Why? Because that is like an aid station at that point. You're allowed to, like, you can, you have to stand down and you can put, like, take nutrition and everything else that you have on your bike, but you can't, like, leave your bike. If they keep giving you all these guys these... And, and ladies, these ridiculous penalties, you might as well just give you a portage on too. Well, yeah. you, there might be a portage on there, but you can't use it because like that would like you're saving time at that point. Like if you were going to use a portage on, you would have gotten off, like done it at a different point on course. So yeah, I'd I be guess you would have like, lost that time. <laughs> I'd be in there like stretching. You'd see me off my bike. You're not like, stretching, getting. They they allow you to to stretch. You can stay. You can stay, I guess, next to your bike or on your bike. You can eat the food and drink that's on your bike. Yeah. Um, so okay. So to answer my question, really, what helped you keep your cool was knowing that your wife was watching the broadcast. And, and seeing that you were still in 11th place. So were you counting everybody that was passing you by? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I knew that as I was standing there, once I stopped, I was in sixth position. Um, yeah. And then I think Cam Worth was the next one to come past. Yep. Um, and then um, Leon Chevalier. And then there was a small group after that. Um, so like I could, I, I could, see that the gap the, the race had really blown apart at that point um and i was I, I wasn't sure where the rest of the field was if there was like this big group together but i assumed from what i'd seen while standing in the penalty box that the race had really split apart um and that gave me a lot of motivation to to still keep digging and keep fighting and um you know there was still definitely something to play for so I mean, talk was... to us go ahead ryan I was going to say, I mean, that was one of the things that made um, those of us that weren't there, you know, like to keep the adrenaline pumping overnight, like just was seeing how 
much of a difference that first 90 minutes of the bike made on the race. And like, you just, you never see that in an Ironman event. You just don't. And so, you know, you had all of like, it was like you took the entire field, shook it up and threw it everywhere all over the course. And so, you know, I think to your point, like that, that made a penalty less, um, it had less of a dramatic impact on somebody's race versus, you know, like you get a penalty outbound on the way out of the queen K like you're, you're dead. Right. Like Magnus is probably the, the, the highest finisher I've seen, like get a penalty on the men's side in a long time in Kona. And the only reason that happened is because he was able to serve it at the end of the bike. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes a big difference. And and it's just the, um, well, specifics of Nice. Yeah. So talk to us more about, your your race continuing right so you got out of the penalty tent and then who did you ride with who were you able to you know kind of pace off of or were you just like i don't give a shit i'm going for it like because you said you rode a little bit too hard at at first so what happened next yeah so started again in about 11th or 12th position um and worked my way pretty quickly through i think it was like greg barnaby um Wilkowicki, the the Polish athlete, Polish athlete. Wilkowicki, yeah, um, yeah. A couple of them, they were riding together, and I, I just blew straight past their group, um, and then bridged up to Leon Chevalier pretty quickly, actually, like within five minutes. Um, got back to Leon, and then I realized, okay, you're probably riding a little bit hard here because Leon is, you know, he would have come out the water four minutes back on us, and if you now have just bridged up to Leon that quickly you are likely overbiking a little bit. Um, but it, I didn't really give a shit, to be honest. I was just like, whatever, I'm going to get myself back into this race. Um, and then I saw that the gap to Magnus and the group that I was with when I served the penalty had come down by a minute already by the turnaround. And I was like, man, I'm riding time back into these guys. Um, and I was so conservative up the first long climb. Like I was really probably at like 60 to 70%. I was not going hard at all. Um, so much so that when I got the penalty, I thought that there was a penalty tent at the top of the long climb. So I just rode away from like the group, the small group that I was in, got about a minute and a half on them by the top of the climb. Um, and then realized, oh, the, there's no penalty box here. And then it flattens out at the top and, and Magnus and the, just the guys who are strong on the flats managed to get back into their sort of terrain. So I kind of had a bit of hope that I could ride myself back across to the group, but the back half of the bike, I definitely started to pay for those efforts. Um, like I rode away from Leon originally, and then he pulled me back. And then I rode with him for a good like 20 or 30K, which was great, like just to have somebody to pace off. And then you hit the um, the second sort of little stinger before the long descent starts. Um, and that really started to take it out of me. I, I started to, to suffer a bit at that stage. Um, just hadn't really paced the bike that well at that point. Um, and Leon got away from me. Um, so I ended up coming into transition with a small group. Patrick caught me on the descent, um, and came into transition. I guess we were what, like just inside the top 10, I would say. Um, and 
like felt decent enough, but definitely felt a bit jaded at that point. Um, and had a decent first lap on the marathon and then, and then had to sort of have a few words to myself on the second and third lap it definitely started to, to struggle a bit, but that's, that's normal for, for most Ironman races. And then actually on the last lap, I was surprised how quickly people fell apart. Um, I think I caught like two or three guys on the last lap, um, who had just, yeah, kind of cooked themselves and it was, it was pretty hot out there on the, um, on the promenade. Um, I think it, the temperature got over 30 degrees Celsius and yeah, definitely, um, had a, it was a testing, testing marathon and mentally it's quite a tough marathon as well being four laps of the same course, although it changed quite a bit because the age groupers were filtering in. So the first lap was like completely just on your own. Um, and as you said, like the gaps were so big that there was no one really to run with. Um, everybody was kind of on their own, um, with, with, you know, three to four minute gaps between athletes. Um, but then, um, quickly the age group has started filtering in and it became a lot more festive out on the run course. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Talk to us about the crowds because it seemed, it seemed really crowded during the run course, like so crowded that like there was, there was no motorbikes allowed. Um, you know, all of the content guys were, they were supposed to have motos, but they were given e-bikes when they got into transition. Um, <laughs> So was that, was that challenging? Was it, was it, did it make it easier because there was more people there to kind of cheer you guys on? Yeah. Uh, when I raced Kona for the first time last year, like the, um, Ali drive was like almost like overly intense. There's just, the crowds are so big and there's so many, so many people screaming at you. It's not really the way you want to start a marathon, you know, just having that like, and that's why most people overrun them the first 10 Ks in Kona, because you just get on this like wave of excitement with all of the crowds. Um, and Nice, I thought was going to be a bit of a problem because it's like that for 40 Ks, you know, you just have crowds lining them. It's only five Ks essentially. Um, I mean, towards the far end, it definitely quite like thinned out, but there were people lined across the entire course um but it, it was something i actually really enjoyed um it was like in kona it was a little bit overwhelming um and i think it like i once i got onto the queen k it was actually just quite nice to take a breath and be like oh, don't have to worry about people screaming at me anymore i can just like take a breath and, and focus on my running form but um nice was a bit different and it was a, a really cool vibe at um the vip area and um, yeah, it was thousands of people watching. Um, and obviously to be in the mix, to be in the top 10 battling out for a good position, people were incredibly supportive and encouraging, and it definitely helped me to get to that finish line. That's awesome. Now you, you crossed the finish line. Tell us about your emotions there. Yeah, it was definitely like, I think because you, you were spent, man. man. Like yeah, I, man, I remember I was, watching, yes. like you just, you were, yeah, you had. Straight to the side. <laughs> yeah, I, all of us were kind of falling over. I, I did have to push really hard to catch the, there was Greg Barnaby and Wilkowicki were just ahead of me. Um, so I really had to dig deep in that last 5K to get across and, and over the top of them. Um, so by the time we got to the finish, we were all pretty cooked. Um, but I think it was just like such an emotional roller coaster of a day. Um, after like the super high of the swim, 
um, and making making that for that front swim pack at a world championship race was just huge for me. I've worked really hard on my swimming, and I'm gonna have to give a lot of credit to Jan here that he's definitely sorted my swim out. Um, and then to start the bike and and to have really good legs, and you know, you kind of know immediately when you're in these races, like what what type of um, condition your body's in. And I just knew I was on a really good day. Um, and to have that happen at world championships is just, uh, it's a dream come true. Um, so to be like up in the podium positions, like mid, well, at the top of that long climb, I just like couldn't believe my luck almost. And then for it all just to kind of come crashing down and then the fight back. And I think I was just completely gassed by the time I got to that finish line. I was gone through a lot, um, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally too. Um, and yeah, just a bit of relief, bit of disappointment, bit of happiness, <laughs> kind of feeling it all. Um, actually felt quite nauseous for the first time after a race, which was well, probably just took on a few too many calories or, um, in that last bit. But yeah, I was happy enough. And I think if you had offered me seventh place on the morning of the race, I probably would have taken it. Yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations, man. I mean, it's, um, I was, I was bummed to see the penalty, um, but I was, as a friend, I was really proud that you, yeah, thank you so much that you dealt with it the way that you did. Um, I remember texting you uh, before, like, no matter what, man, just keep going, right? Like, yeah. it's your day, yeah. dude. Like, go show everybody, and and it was it was cool to see um, yeah. that you were able to overcome that because I know you were. <laughs> you were you got screwed and you were also just you were going to be pissed so yeah um but so all right but now like you this was like a couple weeks ago and and where are you at now because you got a you got a big world championships that you're about to go dive into and and you got some young bucks that you got to go try to beat i mean yeah throwing myself back into the exterior world uh we have traveled from nice across to Molvino, italy the by the way I, I i you like you can go to hell with your travel right and all these cool places that you're at like i'm so yeah, jealous my Instagram i was supposed to be in these oh my gosh man yeah it's just insane yeah no we we're very lucky and privileged to do what we do and um you know to get the opportunity to travel the way we have my wife and and i left south africa um in May with what was a, a little infant at the time and is now a toddler walking around um, telling us how she needs her day to unfold. So yeah, it's been wonderful um, to spend the summer in Europe and, and we're very lucky to do what we do. Um, and yeah, we are here for our final race of the, the European summer uh, with the Xterra World Championships this coming weekend. Actually, the short track is tomorrow. So we dive straight into racing, which is a little bit daunting coming off of an Ironman. It's the, the, the quickest I've raced post Ironman before. Um, but I'm quietly confident that I can, I can mix it up with these guys, even though they are 10 years younger than me. All right. So, so Brian, go ahead. You got questions. Can you talk a little bit about what that transition from like being an off-road athlete to doing long course now you've got to you know essentially jump right back into the other like what's that transition like how do you you know 
how do you position yourself to be able to kind of maximize what you're looking to do at another world championship event? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, obviously I came from a background of Xterra and I raced Xterra professionally for eight years. Um, exclusively, I didn't do any form of, of road racing. Um, and then in 2019, after winning Xterra World Championships for the second time, I wanted to to challenge myself in a new way. And, and Ironman was always something that um, it seemed very daunting at the time, but it was also like a new challenge that I was quite excited about. Um, and yeah, it's, I've really enjoyed the transition across to road racing. I've had some some success um, in it, not quite as much success as I had off road, but um, I think I can definitely still improve. There's still a lot of things I can improve on with my road racing. Um, but coming back to Xterra, um, I I think I, I have all the tools available to me to to win another world title. Um, you know, I'm definitely probably the fittest that I've ever been going into an Xterra World Championships. And um, the course here in Malvina is incredibly tough from a climbing perspective. Um, the climbs are very long and very steep, um, which suits a small athlete like me. But there are a lot of similar athletes to me here within the Xterra World. You know, Arthur Serrier from France, who's the current defending Xterra World Champion, um, has a very similar build to me. Um, he's definitely a better runner than I am. So I'm going to need to pull out all the tricks, um, on Saturday to, to try and, and overhaul him. Um, and there's a lot of other young guys who I've never raced against on the Xterra, um, circuit that I'm quite excited to see how they go. Um, and yeah, I managed to recover relatively well post Ironman. Um, I thought I would struggle a little bit more. Um, but yeah, after the first few days of like initial sort of soreness and and those doms that you get after running a marathon um, once that subsided i started to feel pretty good and yeah from almost from the first pedal stroke i could feel that i should bounce back pretty quickly um so yeah quietly confident that it can go well but yeah we'll see how it unfolds on saturday how long of a rest did you have post world championships nice I mean, there's been no interval sessions or anything like that. There's been no like real structured training, we'll say. Um, you know, the, the first day or two, I did I did nothing on the first day. Second day, I went for an open water swim in Nice, which is kind of being on holiday. <laughs> I wouldn't really call that a training session. Um, just a bit of movement. And then went for my first bike ride, I think, on the Wednesday. Um, and then... We came across to Malvino on Sunday. Uh, we we drove across, and um, I've obviously just been riding the mountain bike now. Um, but I, I rode my mountain bike twice the entire season, so I really haven't been riding my mountain bike much. Um, um, I hope but, you win. I yeah, I really hope you I, win. I, this I is going to be amazing. This is going to be amazing. Yeah. So it's. I mean, Nina my wife tried to talk me out, not talk me out of it, just try to put all the cards on the table as to like, is this really what you want to do? Um, and I kept going back to it. Like, yeah, I think, I think I can do this. Maybe I'll uh, live to eat my words, but I'm still quietly optimistic that it can go well. Um, but you don't really know until you get into the race, you know, it's going to, it's going to take that first sort of, 10 or 15 minutes where you really find out if your body is able to step it up. And 
you know the the intensity of this the style of racing is much different to ironman it's it, it's full gas from the start and guys don't give each other an inch um so it's should be a bit of a shock to the system no, and maybe the, the short track to yeah it will be a good opportunity to just blow out the cobwebs it's 12th gear yeah where iron man's like seven Although I, I don't know so much. I mean, Iron Man's changing. It's gotten quick, man. Like <laughs> we go pretty. No, hard. no, no. I know, but yeah, but like, okay. So, but it's that top end speed, right? That like, yeah, yeah, yeah. just it's it's the physiology so of it, and it's just like, can you sustain yeah. four hundred watts for five minutes to get up this climb? And if you can't, then it's going to be a problem. Yes. Yeah. Right. And stay on your bike. Talk to yeah, us a little bit side. about your strategy when it comes to, cause like tell the, tell the listeners about what, what's actually on tap today. So you've got the, the, the sprint races that start tomorrow. So talk to us about what that is, what those are, and then what's after that. Cause Xterra yeah, so kind of turned it into like this whole weekend adventure with the pros and, and age groupers. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, I mean, it, I did my last championship Xterra race in 2019, so I've been out of the game for quite a while now. Um, but they, in the last year, they've brought in all the short track events um, and created a, a World Cup series um, of races where you race across three or I think three different continents that the elite athletes race across and gather points throughout the season for a, an overall series champion at the end of the day or the end of the season. Um, and this is the culmination of, of all of that racing, which is the world championships. Um, so tomorrow we do the short track race, which quite similar to the, the, IC, the, um, the, the professional mountain bikers, the ICU guys, they, um, also race a short track, um, two days prior to the main cross country event. And it's a, it's about a 40 minute race, I believe. Um, so it's about a 300 meter swim, six K bike and two K run um on a pretty technical course um so we do four laps on the bike of roughly one and a half kilometers and then two laps on the run of a kilometer each um and it's very high pace high intensity um 30 30 men 30 women on the start list um and yeah it should be a pretty like high paced high energy event that's over relatively quickly um Coming from Ironman, that is could not be more more far away from what I've been preparing for. <laughs> so that one should I, I don't expect that to go so well. Maybe don't follow that too closely for me anyway. Um, but then on on Saturday we have the more traditional Xterra race, which is a one point five kilometer swim in Lake Malvino, um, and then a I think it's a thirty thirty two kilometer mountain bike, two laps of of sixteen k's. Um, where we go up some some really steep climbs that they found here, and then we come down. The the descent is it's ba well the lap is one big climb of about seven or eight k's, and then descend back all the way down into the town of Malvino. Um, and the top section of the descent is more like flowy bike park type descending, which is pretty fun and flowy and purpose built trails. And then the second half of it is a little bit more natural, rocks rooty, um, you know where you're a little bit more in the, the, the forest, um, of, of Malvino. So yeah, I think it'll test, it'll test every, um, 
every bit of my mountain biking skills, that's for sure, seeing that I haven't been on the mountain bike much. But I do ride my mountain bike quite a lot back home. And it's not, I mean, there is a reason for the saying of it's like riding a bike. And it really is, you know, you jump back on the mountain bike and you don't forget it. Uh, it's, it comes back pretty quickly. And I've done a few time segments. Strava's great these days. It tells you where you're at. And yeah, I'm pretty confident I can be competitive. My only concern is that Friday it is dumping rain. Um, and mm, once last the, year. yeah, once this place gets wet, it looks like it's going to get pretty muddy. Um, so that is definitely going to pose a bit of a challenge. Um, but overall, I'm very excited. I'm more excited actually than I thought I would be. I thought I'd be a little bit more like apprehensive and talking myself out of it at this point, but no, I'm keen to get involved and see if I can mix it up. Talk to us a little bit about your mountain bike setup. You're on a giant, correct? Yeah, so signed with Giant two years ago, and I've been predominantly racing on road, so I haven't had an opportunity to race their mountain bike um, much. So I'm racing the Giant Anthem X um, Advanced Vero, I believe. I don't know the the names of these bikes get longer and longer um, as as we go, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've I've been like really like thoroughly impressed with the bike. Um, it seems to suit my riding style really well. Um, the mountain bikes these days, I think have taken leaps and bounds, um, and just the, the slacker head angle, slightly more trail setup, um, is, is really awesome and, and a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, I look forward to, to racing on a new bike at, at Xterra World Championships. Uh, full suspension, hardtail. So this course would definitely suit a hardtail. And I see that a lot of the guys who are probably in contention for the win are racing hardtails. Um, I'm on a, I'm on a full suspension. Yeah. So that could be, it's obviously you, you take up a little bit more weight. Um, and this course is so heavily climbing dominant. Um, but in saying that like the top section of the, of the race, you still climb through some pretty like forested areas where, you know, having that dual suspension, just keeping a little bit more traction on the rear tire, especially if it's wet and muddy might actually proved to be the right decision in the end. And then again, coming down, if you can just stay seated for a little bit longer, allowing the deal suspension to, you know, absorb a little bit of those descents and um, allow your body to rest a little bit, you generally run a little bit better off the bike as well. Um, so, if, I mean, for the past like 10 years, Xterra World Championships has been won on a deal suspension. Um, and I think even last year when Arthur won, he raced on deal suspension. Um, but they've all changed to to hardtails for this year. So <laughs> I'll be the only one rocking a, a dual suspension and we'll see if that was a mistake at the end of the day. Yeah, it's interesting that it has kind of changed where, um, you know, even so I was at the Xterra Beaver Creek and um, a lot of the it was like a mixed bag of of people rocking um, hardtails versus full suspensions. Um, so I have a question for you about full suspension mountain bikes though, because when you are, do you ever lock out the full suspension? So if you're going on like a really long, steep incline, do you lock it out or do you just always leave that thing open? Cause there's, you know, there's three adjustments there. And so I'm yeah. always curious. And I think a lot of people are curious on when do you lock it out? When do you put it in the middle? When do you not like what, what do you typically do? So I am lucky enough to be sponsored by Giant and they've released, it's called the live valve system. And it's a, it's a purpose built um, suspension 
um, system that it'll adjust according to the terrain that you're riding on. Um, so it's a um, it's similar to the specialized brain system, um, yep. but it works a, a lot better. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And it it'll uh, you can there's like five different suspension setups that you can set via via an app um, on your phone. Um, and I, for a course like this, I'll set it in the climb position, um, just because we are climbing so much, which stiffens out the suspension, not completely. That gives you a, it gives you a little bit of sag, but like mostly once you're on like a, a hard asphalt road, it'll almost be completely locked out. If you're riding a bike that has the option to just do a complete lockout, it's definitely the way to go. Um, and most of my competitors racing here will have a, a lockout function on their handlebars that you can completely lock the suspension out um, just to, to reduce any bit of, of give, especially if you're riding a dual suspension, you want to sort of make the bike as rigid as possible when you're going uphill. But then once you enter a more technical climb, you do want to open that suspension up. And this is where like the live valve system really comes into its own is that it feels the terrain that you're riding on and it'll adjust the suspension accordingly without the rider having to do anything. So what, as the terrain becomes more aggressive, the suspension slowly opens up. And as the, the terrain gets more like flatter and like less bumpy, it stiffens up. Um, and it does this like within milli milliseconds. So you as the rider don't even like notice that once you have finished the climb, entered the descent and started the, your descent down you don't have to physically remember to to release a lockout which i've definitely done before on previous bikes of mine where there is a lockout function you lock the thing out and you climb for, for 10 minutes and you forget that it's locked out into oh, yeah. the descent and you realize like halfway down like why am i struggling so much here and then you're like oh, <laughs> i totally did that still locked out. <laughs> I, I did that in beaver creek like i'm like halfway yeah. down the mountain i'm like this yeah. sucks it's, and then i'm like yeah. oh yeah i forgot to like it's, yeah you're riding it rigid <laughs> yeah so uh -huh. yeah I, that's the great part about the live valve system is that you don't have to think for it you set it up prior to the race um you just have to make sure you remember to turn the system on because it is a battery operated um, system that you can run flat. It's just another battery that you need to charge. I can't believe there are so many batteries these days, but <laughs> I mean, the amount of cables that I have to carry around in my bag these days, just to make sure that all the damn batteries are charged pretty wild. Mm -hmm. But I hope that answered your yeah. question. Have, so, have you ever experienced that battery running out and what happens to that suspension system when you, when it goes flat? So if you forget to turn it on or if it just runs flat, then the suspension is just completely open. So as if you were going to go on like a good downhill. So when you're climbing, it's really inefficient nice. and you, you're bouncing <laughs> up on a jumping, like a bouncy castle as you go up the climb, <laughs> um, which is less than ideal, but awesome. it, it doesn't like, yeah, you, you still have suspension. It's just not the most efficient. Yeah. That'd yeah. be me. I'd yeah. totally forget to do that. Just <laughs> oh, it totally would be you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, Brad. So what's after this? What's what's next? How you you taking some time off? You you doing any more races? Yeah, we we finally heading. What's your schedule like? We uh, we heading back to South Africa, um, and finally getting back to Stellenbosch. Have some some fine wines and catch up with friends. Have a good old South African braai. Uh, just rest and recover for a week or two 
And then I am planning to do 70.3 South Africa, which is in a town called Mossel Bay, a really beautiful town um, along South African coastline. And that'll be my final race for the year. Uh, I think it's 19th of November. So have a little bit of time. Okay. And then uh, next year, what's your, do you, have you thought about that? What's your goals next year? Yeah, I think um, we're still waiting for the PTO to announce the, the series of next year. And there's been a lot of speculation Mm -hmm. around how many races they're going to have, where the races will be, what time they'll be. But I mean, I'm almost in the top 10 of the PTO and I can say I've got no clue. So they haven't told us anything yet. (laughs) So my plan for next year is uh, very much to focus on the PTO events. Um, There's been a lot of speculation around what exactly that series will look like. Uh, but it sounds very encouraging. Um, looks like we'll have about six or seven races to um, to do across. A, it sounds like a lot of sort of pretty remote destinations. So yeah, it sounds pretty exciting, and that'll be my focus for the season. And then I'll still have to have a look at if an Ironman is possible early, like. Ironman South Africa, I think, is in April, which it might be a bit tricky. Um, but I will need to qualify for Kona um, at some point. So an early early season Ironman would likely be the only way I can really get that done. Yeah, I was going to say, like, South Africa is usually like that end of March, beginning of April. And I think if the email I just got is correct, the uh, Asian Open is moving to April. So the race in Singapore yeah. will be in April instead of August next year. Probably better from a timing perspective, just yeah. weather-wise. Yeah. Could be. <laughs> At least I'll prepare through the South African heat. Well, Brad, thanks for joining us today, man. We appreciate your time. Um, best of luck this weekend. We'll be watching. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, and yeah, hopefully I can be in the mix for one more world championship before the end of the season. I think you're going to win at least top three. That's my, that's my take, man. Thank you so much for the backing. <laughs>